I do always think that there is room to amplify the voices of the people that you serve and center those voices. So one great way that there always is to do is, is focus groups. Try to set up focus groups as much as you can to get those ideas, to get those voices, to show them what you've been working on, show them what you made before, and then ask them, what do you think? What are your ideas? If you could make a campaign for this organization, what would you do? Hey everyone, it's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Kate Lord. She's the Director of Advocacy and Communications at an amazing organization. She's the first. Kate, welcome to the studio. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Noah. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm familiar with She's the First, so I'm grateful that our listeners are going to learn a lot more about She's the First throughout today. But before we learn about them, I would love to learn about you. So, Kate, could you share, like, what was the squiggle or, like, the adventure that got you to where you are right now in this role at She's the First? Yeah, so I actually started my career as a photojournalist. Um, and I really enjoyed being a storyteller and working in my community, getting to know people. I got to know them intimately, even if it was just for a day, got to see a slice of their life and they would, um, share their stories with me and trust me with their stories. Um, and then even when I was in college, before I started professionally working as a photojournalist in my college program, they would pair us with nonprofit organizations so that we could start to learn to work with uh, clients and start to learn to work closely with individuals to share their stories. So for about 15 plus years, I've been working closely with people and, and people have trusted me to share their stories um, and protect them and share them and broadcast them to a wider audience that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. So I worked a few years as a photojournalist and then I um, became a photo editor at a major national newspaper. And then while I was working there, I started to feel like I, I love journalism. I think journalism is super important to our democracy. I love the news. But working there, I felt like we as journalists would often show up at the worst moment in somebody's life. And then the news cycle would force us to then move on to the next disaster, the next person, the next horrible moment in their life. Um, and I really missed working on solutions, working closely with people um, to share their stories. And there just wasn't the capacity and the time in at least national news and local news there is, but uh, or there was when there was more resources. And so I decided that um, I had been simultaneously still volunteering and then consulting and freelancing with She's the First. I, I started working with them in the very beginning and other nonprofit organizations. So I decided that I wanted to go work on solution stories. So I left the news and I started storytelling for nonprofit organizations. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love how you describe that. You get to share other stories and uh, with with an audience that they might not otherwise be able to to reach. And that's such an important quality of good marketing within nonprofits. But I do want to go back to the point you highlighted about the news kind of coming in on chapter three in a you know eight part story, and you really only get to read or highlight chapter three, and then you have to move on because chapter three is you know where the climax happens, and then you have to leave and how within the work that you do now with nonprofits, you get to tell the full story or at least more of the story than the news offers. And that's just a beautiful comparison to the similarities, but just the difference in the opportunity we have as good marketers to tell full stories. Because I think often we as nonprofits still opt for chapter three storytelling. 
Yes. Yeah. Sometimes um, after I went back to telling nonprofit stories and started working in that space, there are some wonderful organizations out there like She's the First, um, like the Adventure Project that are are so many other ones, but we were just talking about the Adventure Project before we started recording that's in my head, um, that are, you know, telling the arc, telling solutions-based stories. But there are also a lot of organizations out there that are not, that are really focusing on the problem, the problem, the problem. Um, and so I actually went back at school and and got my master's from NYU where you can make your own degree or kind of degree in individualized study. And I um, really focused my thesis on nonprofit videos and, and the differences and why do we continue to, continue to tell stories that way? And, and can we continue to make money and tell stories with dignity and tell solution-based stories. And, and I found that we can, that organizations that are doing that are, are still doing it. Um, and yeah, it was a really interesting thing to study and, and find out that, yes, there are lots of organizations out there that are successfully working this way. And now you've moved from just studying that to actually being a part of it uh, at She's the First. For those that aren't familiar with She's the First, can you give kind of an overview of the mission and kind of the programs that She's the First uh, kind of stands behind? At She's the First, we fight for a world where every girl can choose her own future. We team up with grassroots leaders to make sure that girls everywhere are educated, respected, and heard. To fulfill our mission, we teach a girl how to speak up for herself in her home, school, and community, and we teach her mentors practical ways to support her agency. It's a beautiful mission, and again, one that I've been familiar with for a while uh, since I was partnering up with Becky Straw, the founder of The Adventure Project, because she's the first in The Adventure Project. We're kind of both advocating for a similar type of storytelling, as we mentioned. And so it's a beautiful mission, but I'm curious, you know, as someone who's focused in on advocacy and communications, really at the intersection of like marketing and mission, how does marketing help elevate this? Or kind of what does your role actually look like? Our listeners love hearing what roles actually <laughs> are responsible for, because a title can be very uh, misleading in nonprofits. Yeah. So my title is the Director of Advocacy and Communications, which um, for me, I am both in charge of our overall communications, like our brand strategy and our voice. And that encompasses things that go out to everyone, our website and our social media but um, I'm also, my department does our girl-led advocacy and activism programs, which is unusual for a communications marketing professional to, to have one department to also have programs in it. But for us, our two main values at She's the First are to be girl-centered and to be anti-oppressive. So one of our big goals is to elevate girls' voices and to teach girls to speak out for their rights and then to use our platforms to have girls speak out. So for us, it makes sense for it to be one department because we're teaching the girls in these girl-led activism programs how to speak out, how to speak up for themselves and their peers. And then right there in that same department are the platforms that they can then come to and use, be on our social media, be on our newsletter, be on our website to speak out about these issues. So yeah, I do. I have a, a small team that I work with, with on comms and uh, running the programs. And we're constantly working together to make sure that the girls that are learning to run campaigns and learning to speak up um, are then able to quickly get onto the platforms. 
Absolutely. And I know you mentioned it's unusual, but I don't know why. And I feel like we maybe we should be advocating more for that because really marketing is mission critical across the organization. You know, as you mentioned, it's about raising awareness about the work that you all are doing, but also then enabling people to connect with the cause. And that can be through programs or through communications. And so I actually love the idea that they're together and we could probably learn a lot from how you all have structured that um, as we think about what marketing should look like at nonprofits uh, going forward. Well, I know we touched on how important marketing is in helping raise support and critical um, funding for your organization. But I also know, as you mentioned, that marketing is really around program awareness and kind of uplifting the programs that you all do. And so we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about how marketing helps raise money. But I would love to hear more at She's the First on how marketing helps drive program participation and ultimately awareness. So as I mentioned before, uh, girl-centered and anti-oppressive are two main values. And I, as part of the my division of She's the First, uh, run our girl-led advocacy programs. So girl-centered is one of our values, but um, I want to differentiate real quick what we mean, the difference between girl-centered and girl-led. So girl-centered means putting girls first, and we're, we're consulting with them, we're having focus groups, we're talking to them and including them in, in the planning of the programs. But ultimately, we're then using our expertise to run and execute the programs. Um, but then when we're talking about girl-led programs, we are doing all of the above, but then the girls are actually leading and we are there to support them. So that's the difference. Um, so when I, I've been, I've been working, like I said, well, she's the first since the very beginning as a volunteer and then as a freelancer. Um, but I actually only started this full-time job last summer. So 2022. Um, and so when I took on this role, I started really thinking about what does girl led advocacy mean? And so I was thinking about our mission statement, which is that one of the key words in it is that we are working to make sure girls are heard. Um, and if our mission is that we want to make sure girls are heard and that these programs are girl-led advocacy programs, what could we do make a program that really does that? Um, so uh, I created this girl activist fellowship in which we got 30 girls from around the world um, to come in and we taught them how to execute an advocacy campaign. And these campaigns became our key advocacy cam campaigns for 2023. So where typically we would do a like girl centered or as some were girl led too, but these are totally the girls came up with the ideas. They uh, decided what the issues were going to be. They decided what format they were going to be. So they did four this year. One was a social media campaign about access to education. One was a children's book about safety from violence one was a interview with girls who had experience with FGM, and then a discussion guide to go along with it so that people could have a listening and learning discussion with their either campus chapter or mentorship group. And then finally, one was a two simultaneous art shows about reproductive rights. Girls submitted artwork from all over the world. We had about 200 submissions from girls wow. making artwork about their My Body, My Choice, Their Rights. And then girls chose which 20 were going to be in both shows. We had a show in New York City and a show in Nairobi because that's where our offices are. And then people came to both shows and saw them. And then we also amplified it on social media. And the girls ran it all. We, my, myself and my colleague, Janae, were 
there to support them and to coach them and mentor them. But this was all their ideas that we were elevating. Those are incredible. And I think what's amazing is they're so innovative and still aligned to the mission at the core. And they came from your community. And often as marketers, this is the lesson I want to elevate for our listeners is like, we think we have to come up with all the best ideas inside of a room or maybe a rectangle Zoom room and like get creative and do all of that. And just opening up the door and having a, a, a square where people can come in and, and give ideas and, and collide and come up with new things created this incredible list from a book to an art show to a discussion guide and everything else in between. Like that's, that's amazing. And I think that came from the community, not from the, the, the staff, you know, and I think that's such an important lesson we can all learn. These were girls, 30 girls between the ages of 14 and 22, and they were from 15 countries, and they met once a month on Zoom. They're all from all different time zones, and then in between, they would, they were in four different groups, and they would figure out in between with their time zones how they could meet. So they really impressed me. Like, I, I you would think after, like, 13 years of, of working with girls, I, I would no longer be surprised or, but you know, they, they blew me away. They came up with even bigger ideas than I, I would have thought of. So I, yeah, I was super, super impressed with them. Yeah. We talked about this recently with another group on some of the best marketing campaigns in 2023 or 2024 are when you intentionally design less control into the campaign story. And what I mean by that is that in, in similar to this case is you're allowing the recipients or the audience to come in and then take it and turn it into something that it wasn't before, but that then the collective tapestry of those um, almost mutations of the campaign become the campaign. And then it's amplified by the organization in its whole versus it originally started with just this really like a platform. And I think that's really what we're, we should be thinking about is how do we design marketing campaigns for organizations to be platforms for our community to interact with. And this, again, is a beautiful example of that. Now, I think the next question as marketers is we're like, how did this all go? What was kind of the impact? Uh, and maybe it's still in real time, but how, how did you measure success or what were you measuring to determine whether it was successful or not? Yeah, so each one was a little different, obviously, because they were on different platforms and different spaces. So the first one was um, called The Power of Poetry, and it was a social media campaign. So it started with um, a social media call to action for girls to submit poetry about their access to education. And then the girls took that, made graphics out of the poems. We put the poems on our website. And then the bigger part of it was then amplifying the poems, amplifying the the poets' voices. So it was girls from several different countries. And then we put it out on social. And for us, it was a big social media success because it had ultimately ended up having a, more than a reach of more than 650,000, which we only have 100,000 followers across ours. So it reached far further than our social media reach. And Amanda Gorman retweeted one of the re. Instagram posted one of the poems, um, which for us was, of course, huge. Um, so uh, social media wise, we considered it a major success. And then after that, we had more girls reaching out to us about our programming and more interested in getting involved and wanting to know more about how they could write for us or to participate in our programming or 
what what could they do? How could they how could they become part of our activism programming? So for us, from the marketing perspective of getting more girls involved went really well. And then from the programming perspective of measurement, the poets reported back that they felt heard, that they were really pleased to see the global reach. And the girls that designed the campaign felt like they were really impressed with the reach that they saw. And of course, thrilled that Amanda Gorman reposted one of the poems. And yeah, they felt really great about it, which for us as programmers, of course, is the goal. That's wonderful. Were all the campaigns intentionally designed to grow the community of She's the First and kind of like the reach of that? Or were there other actions that you all were trying to drive towards from maybe some of the other campaigns? Yeah, each campaign was kind of different. So the um, this children's book was, it's a children's book written by five of our fellows from Kenya, the Philippines, and the U.S., um, and it's a children's book about how to differentiate the difference between safe touch and unsafe touch. Um, and so the goal there was to get parents, teachers, and mentors to download the book, to share it for free on our website, to dare to share it with their children in a you know safe environment. And it's only been available for two months, but it's got more than 200 downloads, which when we talked to the people that downloaded it, translated to already about 4,000 girls that it's reached. So again, from a programming perspective, that's getting reaching more girls, getting them engaged, but then also from our, she's the first, um, our other program pillar, major pillar is working with grassroots leaders in the global South. Um, and those leaders are often women who work for community-based organizations who work directly with girls. And that really in, involved that community of She's the First. And they were really interested in this, especially because it was written by girls for girls. And so they were really interested in that and they got involved there. So that was tying two of our major communities together. And so that was a really great community building moment for us. So again, it was about getting new people interested, but also engaging our current community, the community that we already have, that we already are working with um, in the Global South. But again, getting them engaged, getting them excited to see, oh, wow, look at what these five girls work together to do. This is so cool. And it's something that we can actually use in our programs. Um, and it's a it's a resource that is truly useful to us. And it's free and available to us. So this is an incredible campaign and so many things went right. And the outcome is obvious in what you just shared. Often we learn more from the scraps on the floor than our successes. So what went wrong or didn't meet expectations in these campaigns this past year? And what did you learn from those that you're pulling forward? Well, definitely from the program itself. When I started it, I thought it was only going to be a year. Um, and like I said, I thought it was only going to be, I thought most of them would say, yeah, they're going to be social media campaigns. And then they surprised me. Um, but I th I, when I started it, I thought it was going to be a year. And then I realized that when working with girls, they need more time. It's both that they need more time and that to integrate what they needed with what the rest of my staff needed time to do, because I was needing to talk to my colleague who works with throughout programs in the Global South to get to ask them to ask our partners to send in poems or to send in artwork. Everything took longer than I thought. So that part was really doing time management. Um, but also that I originally thought it was going to be a year, so we had to change the program and make it 18 months in the middle, which then made us lose some of the girls, to be honest. Some of the girls were like, I only signed up for a year. I can't commit to 18 months. 
Um, so that was a learning, which we now for the next cohort are from the beginning saying it's going to be 18 months long. And then again, I think starting earlier again, time <laughs> with each campaign, especially with uh, you know the social media ones, if we wanted to get more influencers involved, like we knew that we, we already knew Amanda Gorman. She's lovely. She's amazing. We've, we've known her for a long time. And so we knew it was going to be a poetry campaign. So we, of course, were very lucky that she, she connected with it and she wanted to share it. So that was very lucky. But if we had started sooner, we might've been able to get more people to uh, amplify it. So lots of learnings like that. If we had started more time, if we'd given ourselves more bandwidth, more time, um, some of some of these might've reached more in a, in a traditional digital marketing sense. Absolutely. That's like such a core part of marketing is a lot of times we think so much and spend so much effort on the activation or the ask or the event or whatever it is. And then we're like, shoot, we have to amplify this. <laughs> and yes. we're like, we give 20% of the time when we really should be giving at least 60, 70% of the time on like, this is going to be amazing. How do we make sure people hear about that? I'm sure more and more people will hear about it. It sounds like this year's campaigns were incredible and reached so many people, even if that was the learning. And so I can only imagine what next year is going to look like. What I think is really interesting and the takeaway I'm walking away with is this idea of how you can design campaigns to have blended outcomes. Because I think often, you know, we're maybe short sighted in what the outcomes could be. And we miss the opportunity for what you're saying, which is this blended outcomes where it's like, you know, with the book, we got distribution. We also got downloads. There's 4,000 people associated with these downloads, but we also integrated our communities together, which has mission impact. And again, it's where like marketing is at the intersection of kind of how all of this was going, but you're having program impact. You're having impact in the communities you're serving. I'm sure you're building connections that might turn into funding in the future or new donors in the future, but that's not the point of this right now. It's the add value, um, build the community, connect more people with She's the First. Um, so it's just incredible. And I think that's one thing I would encourage our, our listeners to take away of is like, how do we think bigger and maybe more bolder in what we should expect out of our campaigns? And then thus that constraint gives us more creative liberties to just innovate more. Yeah. And speaking of like cross cross audiences, the the art show one was really interesting because at the New York show, yes, so A, the girls reached out to our, again, the community-based organization community to get girls to submit artwork. So that, again, was engaging that community, getting them interested, having them have a programmatic element because it was getting their girls to express themselves about their bodies and their choice and reproductive rights. Um, so it was giving them a programmatic element. And then, so we had about 200 uh, artworks coming in. And then at the art shows themselves in New York, we had donors come that were New York based. So then they got to have like a real connection to our global work. And so that was an opportunity. It wasn't a donor event. It wasn't, we didn't ask for money. It wasn't a fundraising event. It was an advocacy event, but it was like a donor stewardship event. They had an opportunity to come see the work, talk to the girls. We had two uh, U.S. Girl Activist Fellows who had worked on the project there. So they could talk to girls in our activism programming about it. And they could learn also about the girls who had made the art who were from the Global South. And then um, at the Nairobi show, we had uh, at the event, 
girls from local organizations who hadn't made the art but came in and learned about it and then they made art there. So we had another programmatic element at that one. Um, so again, it was like a blended of all that one was like a cross team, all of our different programming and we had a donor activation moment. Um, and so that felt very successful because we had lots of different moments and then we were able to amplify it on social after the fact and be like, it was our girl, uh, Day of the Girl. Uh, it was the, the events were on Day of the Girl, which for us is our biggest, biggest day of the year. It's our Super Bowl. <laughs> That's amazing. What have you learned from this past year, from this these campaigns? It's not even a single campaign that you are pulling into how you think about campaigns for next year. Definitely love this fellowship. We're really excited about it. We're going to keep going with it. I think it definitely lives up to our two main values of girl being girl-centered and anti-oppressive, giving them, shifting the power to the girls. My colleague and I have learned that we may have bitten off a little more than we could chew with four campaigns in a year, and there's two of us working on it. So we're a small team. So we decided that we're only going to do two campaigns going forward because mentoring the girls through four was a lot in a year. Um, so that's that's the biggest learning. Um, yeah. And also what I really learned again was, like I said earlier, that um, girls continue to surprise me. They they think bigger than than I initially thought. Uh, to be totally honest, when I first thought of this program, I was assuming wrongly that they would all come up with social media campaigns. I thought that all four of them would be a social media campaign. And that was that. But then they were like, let's do an event. Let's make a book. Let's do discussion guides and, uh, and get all of these things. And I was like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And we did. We we did it. And they were all wonderful. It's It's grown bigger and more exciting than I anticipated it would ever be. If you were advising someone that is listening to this and saying like, okay, well, how do I and my organization think about our community? Um, how do we activate our community so that then we can amplify the output of that activation to drive action against our mission? Are there specific things outside of the She's the First context that you would advise individuals to kind of ask questions about or think through as they're designing their own community activation campaigns for 2024? Yeah. I mean, firstly, I understand that not every organization has a program that like it makes sense to design a program that then feeds into this. Like for us, it made sense we had girl led activism as one of our program channels. So this made sense for us. Um, but I do always think that there is room to amplify the voices of the people that you serve and center those voices. So one great way that there always is to do is, is focus groups, try to set up focus groups as much as you can to get those ideas, to get those voices, to show them what you've been working on, show them what you made before, and then ask them. What do you think? What are your ideas? If you could make a campaign for this organization, what would you do? And you know, some of the ideas might be totally out of the realm of what is possible for you, but some of them might be something that you're like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe we should. And then I've always been an advocate for inclusive storytelling, which I think is um, super important. Um, Whenever you're doing a longer format uh, story about somebody, so obviously every picture we take, we can't go back and run by somebody. But if you're doing, let's say, like a video about one person and it's about them, um, I've always tried to show them back the cuts so that they see it, they feel included, they feel dignified about it. Um, 
So that's another way to make sure that they are included, that their voice, it's actually their story and their voice. And then, yeah, another way is to take just part of one of these ideas, which is to like put out a call for artwork, put out a call for poetry um, so that it might not be constituent led, but it is their work, their voices that you're amplifying. We've talked so much about the power of community here. And just to be able to celebrate the community for the impact that they had as part of this campaign. But this also takes like leadership and risk on your as an organization. So I just want to thank you and your team, Kate, for giving the opportunity to conduct something like this, because it wouldn't be possible if we didn't take the brave step as marketers, as leaders to say we're going to loosen our control and we're going to allow the community to embody what being a part of this cause is. And that takes a lot of risk. And so I think that is something to be celebrated in what you all did this past year. So thank you. Thank you to your team for giving an example that we can all follow. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And the girls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The power of girls is, is unreal. And this is only showcasing that even more. Uh, Kate, it's been lovely to have you in the studio. Thanks again for sharing the story behind this campaign, the story of She's the First, which is the story of so many uh, women and girls around the world. If people want to learn more about She's the First and stay connected to your campaign so they can learn more, how should they do that? You can follow us on all social platforms at She's the First, and you can reach us uh, on our website, She's the First.org, and you can reach us on email, info at She's the First.org. Well, I know I look forward to seeing what's in store for 2024. So we'll have to have you back in the studio again soon. Thank you so much. This was really fun.